the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. ConsumerAccess.org, number three. The following program is sponsored by Know the Truth, Incorporated. Today on Know the Truth from Philip DeCourcy, a foreshadowing of the new covenant. We have here the inauguration of the Lord's Supper, because it's the last meal he'll enjoy with his disciples, and it's the last meal of the Passover of the Old Covenant. But it's the first supper of the New Covenant, because the Old Covenant was ratified in the blood of the sacrificed lambs. But the New Covenant is going to be ratified in the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Today on Know the Truth, Philip DeCourcy explains that the Gospel of Mark moves quickly and dramatically towards the cross. John Mark wants us to land at Calvary to understand why Jesus came and how his death and resurrection changes everything. Today we're in chapter 14 where Jesus shares the Last Supper with his disciples. It's a message Philip calls, There Will Be Blood. It's from our comprehensive series in Mark titled, Essential Jesus. Let's get started. Well, let's take our Bibles and turn to Mark chapter 14, and we're going to look at verses 12 through 31. It's a message I've entitled, There Will Be Blood, because here the Lord Jesus Christ addresses the issue of his death and its meaning, because I would say this of Mark. He, from the moment he starts to write this gospel, is making a beeline for the cross. In fact, he skips over the birth of Jesus altogether. What's your rush? Why are you in a hurry, Mark? I want to get to the cross, I think he would say. I'm making a beeline for the cross. And interestingly, here we are in the last five chapters of Mark's gospel, and all of a sudden he has put the brakes on. I mean, this guy's been in a hurry from the moment he took his pen up. Immediately, immediately, let's keep moving. Got to get to the cross. And that's where we're at here in Mark 14, because he's introducing to us the events will lead to Jesus' arrest, trial, and death. And he's going to show Jesus' teaching on the Lord's Supper, which is an explanation of his death. So let's come to our text, Mark 14, verses 12 through 31. Several things I want us to see. Number one, what I call the preparation. That's verses 12 through 16. Now, on the first day of unleavened bread, when they killed the Passover lamb, his disciples said to him, Where do you want us to go and prepare that you may eat the Passover? This is late afternoon when the Passover lamb is slaughtered. And now preparation must be made for late evening, where they will sit down like thousands and thousands of pilgrims in Jerusalem and celebrate the Passover. 
Now, you know what the Passover is. It's a feast and a festival within the Jewish calendar, taking them back to their 4th of July experience when God delivered them from bondage in Egypt. And that came through eventually the visiting angel of death, and the Israelites were delivered by the blood of an innocent lamb that was shed and then splattered over their door. And when the angel came by and saw the blood, he passed on. And that became the last straw. Pharaoh says, get out of here. They grab what they can, and they're out of Egypt. And each succeeding generation remembers that seminal moment. That's where we're at. And so like good Jews, the Lord Jesus and his disciples are making preparation for that meal. And they have nowhere to eat yet. They've got the lamb. They've got the stuff that they need for the Passover meal. But what about a location? That's the question the disciples ask, and Jesus has an answer. Verse 13, he sent two of them out, said to them, go into the city, and a man will meet you carrying a pitcher of water. Follow him. Wherever he goes in, say to the master of the house, the teacher says, where is the guest room in which I may eat the Passover with my disciples? Then he will show you a large upper room, furnished and prepared. There make ready for us. And the disciples did what he said, And they encountered what Jesus predicted, and they got the room. They prepared the Passover. Look at verse 17. And in the evening, Jesus came with the twelve. But here's the point I want to underscore. He will show you, verse 15, a large upper room furnished and prepared. That's where I get my first thought from, the preparation. Verse 12, the disciples wanted to know, where do we go and prepare the meal? Jesus said, there'll be an upper room that a man will give to you, and it will be furnished and prepared. The preparation. Now, when Jesus tells his disciples this, is this a case of something he had prearranged? Is this just natural planning? You know, there was a man waiting for them, and the man who owned the house knew Jesus, and all of this was kind of set up. That would make it natural, and and that's a possibility. But I think it's more supernatural. This is prepared and planned. Now you say, okay, pastor, that's good. Anything to help me live my life? Yeah. Here's what it is. Jesus was in complete control of the circumstances. As his approaching death unfolds, I want you to make sure you do not see Jesus in any way as a victim of the circumstances. Not that he wasn't a victim of Judas's betrayal and the wickedness of the Jewish leaders. I'm not saying that. But just know this. These circumstances didn't overtake Jesus. It's not like he didn't see this coming. It's not like he's not embracing this as part of the Father's will. The upper room was prepared. It was furnished. Because Jesus has set his face as a flint to go to Jerusalem. In fact, he will predict the betrayal of Judas. He will predict the cowardice of the disciples. And he will predict the absolute failure and flop of Peter. He's in total charge of this. In fact, look at verse 28. But after I've been raised, I will go before you to Galilee. Not only does he know that they need a room and provision has been made, either naturally or supernaturally for that, he knows that before long, Judas will come and betray him with a kiss. 
with the best of intentions. Nevertheless, his disciples will feel the test and flee in fear. He'll be put to the scourging and the suffering of the cross. He will die. He will be buried in a borrowed tomb, and he will rise. And then tuck this away, because we've got to come back to this before we're done. And on the other side of the resurrection, on the other side of their cowardice, failure, and fear, he'll meet them, he'll reinflate them, he will recommission them, he will restore them, and will be off to the Great Commission. He's orchestrating and superintending in all of this. And that, to me, is encouraging. That's the pastoral and practical point. We have a Lord and Savior who's Lord over his circumstances and our circumstances. God is working all things after the counsel of his own will. Ephesians 1.11, and he's working all things together for good. Romans 8.28. Let's move on quickly. The prediction. The prediction. This is verses 17 to 21. It's evening now on the Thursday night. We're bumping up against Friday. And so they were sitting, they were eating the Passover meal, and Jesus drops the bomb. One of you guys is going to betray me. There's a Benedict Arnold sitting at the table, guys. There's a snake in the grass in this room. Can you imagine the air was sucked out of the room? Because this is Thursday evening. It's a time of national festival and fervor. It's a Passover meal. The posture is one of relaxation. They're reclining, and the atmosphere is one of celebration. And as Jesus is dipping the bread, and as they're drinking the wine, and as the meal unfolds, he drops the bombshell. Now, for them, it was a whodunit, because they have no clue. Now, we know who it is. Mark 3.19 and Mark 14.10-11 have told us. We know it's Judas. But for them, they had no clue. And this is the worst kind of betrayal, by the way, because we read, don't we, of this person in verse 20. He answered and said to them, it is one of the twelve. They were going, who is it? Like, who is it? Well, I'll at least narrow the number. It's one of the twelve. It's one who dips with me in the dish. As they dip the unleavened bread into that kind of sauce made up of bitter herbs, reminding them of the bitter experience of Egypt, someone who was breaking bread with Jesus was going to rat on them. That's pretty awful, isn't it? In their culture. See, meals and dinners for us are almost like fuel stops. We're just in... You know, it's like NASCAR. We get our fuel, and out we go again into the fast lane of life. Not for them. That was slow. It was a time of intimacy, friendship. There was a significance in breaking bread with someone. And Jesus is saying, I'm actually going to hand someone a piece of bread, and that hand is going to betray me. And you know what's striking? It's not just that Jesus drops the bombshell. It's the worst kind of betrayal. No one immediately identifies the suspect. Because look at what they say, verse 19. And they began to be sorrowful and say to him one by one, Is it I? I mean, it's like they all line up. Usual suspects. And they go, Is it me? The amazing thing is they didn't all turn around and go, We knew it was Judas. We knew it was him. That's crazy. Is it I? Me? Him? Us? What do you do with that? Well, it would remind us of the danger of a false profession. Or as J.C. Ryle says in his commentary in Mark, there are some men will go to any length to hide their unconverted hearts with religiosity. That's a scary prospect. You can go to hell as quickly out the doors of a church as out the doors of a pub or a brothel. 
Judas was among the twelve. He was a false disciple. He was a false professor. His heart had never been converted. He was greedy, and he was a thief at heart. Scary. But here's the point I want to get. While Judas's sin is unique to him and dastardly and damning in the sense that he was a son of perdition, in a sense that he uniquely and grossly and gruesomely betrayed the Lord Jesus Christ, we would have to say that there is a bit of a Judas lurking in all of us. I mean, the disciples felt that. Is it me? Now, they knew that they weren't conspiring. Eleven of them did to betray the Lord Jesus. But I think they knew enough about themselves to go, boy, I'm scared. Am I capable of that? Is it me? And if we were to apply that in a secondary fashion, which it is, there is a Judas lurking in all of us. Our sin nature has Judas qualities to it. In fact, one writer says that's what sin is. It's an act of betrayal to the will of God, the glory of God, and the beauty of His righteousness. Every time we sin, we're acting like a Judas. We're betraying God's goodness. We are acting against His good will. And so just be challenged. We're all capable of giving Jesus a kiss on Sunday and betraying Him on a Monday in our words, in our deeds, in our thoughts, in what we do, the sins of commission, and in what we don't do, the sins of omission. Listen to these words by David Garland in his NIV commentary on Mark's gospel. Mark does not present the Lord's Supper as a sacrament that brings blessing and assurance. The scene filled with high tension, sweaty palms, lumps in the throat, nervous anxiety, serves as a warning to readers. They are to examine themselves in precisely the same way as those first disciples did. One of them would betray Jesus. The gathered disciples did not immediately single out Judas as the guilty party. They looked to themselves. They wondered, surely not I. It's a great point. That's why Mark puts it in there. Before you and I go like Peter, not me, Lord. And yet Peter feels, I'd never do that. Really? Be careful. And then he says this, when the Lord's Supper is served at the end of a worship service, people may examine their watches more than their hearts and may be worried more about dinner than how they have betrayed Jesus in the previous week or how they may betray him in the next. It's a good word to self-examine yourself and make sure that the Judas spirit isn't laying hold of your heart. Google the name, read the story, Thomas Cranmer. One of the great English reformers, butchered by Bloody Mary, burned for his Protestant faith. The sad story is that a few days before his martyrdom, he signed a recantation. Under pressure, under the thought of his death by fire, he gave in. His legs gave way, and he said, you know what? I renounce my Protestant faith. And he came back into the fold of Catholicism, and he thought he had dodged a bullet, but Bloody Mary hated him so much, she still put him to the fire. And the night before, and as he approached his own death, he's seized by tremendous guilt. He wrote a recantation denying his Protestant faith. And if you read his story, when he is chained to the post, and when the wood piles are put around him and the fire is lit, before the fire engulfs him and before he loses consciousness, he consciously takes his right hand and he plunges it into the flames and burns it because it had betrayed the gospel and it had betrayed the Lord Jesus. And it wasn't an act of penance. 
because he's a Protestant, but it was an act of repentance and a message to the Lord Jesus Christ. I am so sorry that with this hand I betrayed you and the gospel and what I know to be true. And he died a victor's death in martyrdom. Every time I read that story, I first read it as a young boy in a book my father had in the house. I kind of got goosebumps going, man, how quickly and often I betray the Lord Jesus. I remain silent when I should be speaking. I do stuff I shouldn't be doing. Let's challenge ourselves. Let's look back and wonder, did we betray him this week? And are we in danger of doing the same this week? Thirdly, the pronouncement, the pronouncement, This is verses 22 to 25. This is a sermon in itself. We're going to give this such scant treatment in some ways. It's wrong, but it is where we're at in the text. But now we have the pronouncement. It's the pronouncement of the Lord's Supper. And while they were eating, verse 22, Jesus took bread, blessed it, broke it, gave it to them, said, take, eat, this is my body. He did that with the cup, probably the third cup of the Passover. He gave thanks. Then he gave the cup to them. They drank from it. And he said, this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many. Assuredly, I say to you, I will no longer drink of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom. This is the institution of the Lord's Supper. In some ways, it's the last supper because it's the last meal he'll enjoy with his disciples. It's the last meal he'll eat in his present body before his glorified state. And it's the last meal of the Passover of the Old Covenant. So in that sense, it's the last supper. But in the truest sense, it's the first supper. It's the last supper of the Old Covenant, but it's the first supper of the New Covenant. A new promise by God that's built on an old promise by God that indeed he's going to pay for our sin through the means of a innocent sacrifice and shed blood, because the old covenant was ratified in the blood of the sacrificed lambs, Exodus 12. But the new covenant is going to be ratified in the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we have here the inauguration of the Lord's Supper, one of the ordinances of the church, two ordinances in the church, baptism and the Lord's Supper. And they preach the gospel, don't they? In the Lord's Supper, we're reminded he died for me. In baptism, we're reminded he lives in me. And while the Lord's Supper speaks more than about his death, it is focused there. And while baptism speaks more than his resurrection, its focus is there. What can we take from this? As I said, we're only going to kind of hop, skip, and jump across this. But if we were to kind of give the Lord's Supper a new look from its first introduction here in Mark 14, we would be told that we ought to look upward because Jesus takes the elements of the Passover. And given the fact that the Passover involved the death of a lamb, the shedding of blood, where death didn't visit those who trusted that blood, the same Jesus is our Passover. He's going to shed his blood for us. Our sins are going to be forgiven, and we will no longer face eternal death if we put our trust in him and what he did on the cross. And that is grounds for thanks, because Jesus twice gives thanks, one for the bread and then for the cup. And you know what? If we want a new look at the Lord's Supper, ours is a look upward in thanksgiving and worship. Then it's a look backward, because the Passover is a remembrance of something that was done, the benefits of which continue. 
and that's the same with the Lord's table. In fact, I want you to hold that thought because if we want to give the Lord's table a new look, we've got to look up in worship. We've got to look back in commemoration. But for a further thought, we've got to look around in fellowship because we read here, and commentators point this out, they drank from one cup. And so the Lord's Supper was something that had a unifying effect because there's one Lord, there's one baptism, there's one faith, and we're all united and brought into fellowship with God and one another at the foot of the cross. And so the Lord's Supper is significant. It inspires fresh worship and thanksgiving towards God. It inspires a looking back to the cross and what Jesus did there on our behalf. It inspires looking around to each other and acknowledging afresh this new commandment that we love one another because we belong to the family of God. It urges us to look forward because Jesus says here that indeed he's not going to drink with them until he drinks afresh in the kingdom. And so if we go to Paul... In 1 Corinthians 11, as he kind of recollects this and revisits this, he will say, you know what? On the same night in which the Lord was betrayed, he told us to break bread. He told us to remember his body, remember his blood. And if we do that, we'll proclaim him. But we only proclaim him. We only do this, what, until he comes. So that's the new look that we ought to give to the Lord's Supper. It's all here. There's a look up in worship. There's a look out in fellowship. There's a look back in appreciation. And there's a look forward to the fact that indeed all that he has done for us is not yet complete. That's Philip DeCourcy here on Know the Truth with a message titled, There Will Be Blood. It's an important look at the Lord's Supper, reminding us of what Jesus did on the cross and what he'll do when he comes again. Listen to more messages from our current Gospel of Mark series when you go to ktt.org. Well, Christmas is coming, but for many, it's a time of unwanted pressure, an increased sense of loneliness, family squabbles, and crowded shopping malls. In fact, studies show there are more incidents of depression surrounding Christmas than at any other time of the year. So help us shine the light of God's hope into the darkness and give a generous year-end donation today. And this year, your gift to know the truth will have an even greater impact. We are stepping out in faith to reach more cities with an expanded radio platform. Philip, you know it's a big commitment, and we're excited to have you tell us more. Thanks, Wayne. I'm, I'm frankly overjoyed to share with our listeners what God is doing through this ministry, Know the Truth. And we're so thankful, too, for our, the support of faithful listeners. You know, we have a seven-year history. And as I look back, um, I'm a spectator to all that God is doing. We've seen tremendous growth. It's hard to believe now, Wayne, that we're on close to 600 stations with a potential audience, wait for it, of more than 175 million people. So our net gets spread uh, pretty widely, and we're reaching more listeners each and every day. We're meeting needs. Lives are being changed by God's truth. Uh, the verse that drives this ministry is John 8, 32. Uh, you shall know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And people are finding freedom. Freedom from uh, uh, sin's dominion, freedom from the fear of death, freedom from anxiety. And we're just overjoyed at what God is doing and uh, the support that we're getting from our audience. And we're looking forward to the next season 
in this ministry. In fact, this past year has been a, a year of historic opportunity. We have uh, expanded uh, a great measure. We've been given new platforms for the ministry. And therefore, I want to put a call out to our listeners today. Um, for those that have supported us, thank you. But for those that are listening, and perhaps God would lay it on your heart to come alongside us and partner with us financially. We would really appreciate that. We need your urgent help. Uh, we're moving ahead. We don't want to look back. We need others to come alongside us and support us both prayerfully and also financially. And if you're willing to do that, and I hope you are, uh, please go to our website. Uh, give us a call uh, today here at KTT and pledge your support. We will be deeply grateful and people will be eternally thankful. Yes, we do hope to hear from you today with a much-needed year-end gift. And when you give, you'll be sending God's Word to more people, people in cities like Seattle, San Francisco, Detroit, Chicago, Atlanta, and so many more. Give now before it slips your mind. Call us at 888-644-8811 or go to ktt.org. And when you give, we'll say thanks with a special resource, the ESV Daily Devotional New Testament. Let it inspire you with 365 daily readings that are rooted in God's living Word. I'm Wayne Shepherd, inviting you to join us again tomorrow as we continue reflecting on the life-giving message Jesus shared at the Last Supper. That's Wednesday on Know the Truth. Today's program was produced and sponsored by Know the Truth Incorporated. Jesus said, You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. IWAVA's Chris Roth, and recently one of our staff members here at WAVA used 50 Floor and could not stop talking about the positive experience they had with their new flooring installation. First, the process is simple and easy. They bring the showroom to you while offering a wide variety of flooring options. No reason to drive all over town. Also, on the day of installation, you don't have to lift a finger. They move your furniture, take up and haul away your old floors, install the new floors, clean up, and then they're out of there. Now, until the end of December, you're going to save big and receive 60% off all carpet, hardwood, laminate, tile, and vinyl. Sale ends when the holidays are over. Plus, if you use the promo code WAVA, you'll receive an extra $100 off. 50 Floor also offers interest-free financing until 2019 if your purchase is paid in full. Call 877-50-FLOOR or go to 50floor.com. Schedule your free in-home estimate. Celebrate the holidays with new floors. Remember to use the promo code WAVA to receive an additional $100 off. Call today, 877-50-FLOOR or 50floor.com. Call 877-50-FLOOR. Pick up the phone. We'll be knocking at your door. Details and licensure at 50floor.com. Hey there, I'm Eric. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. 
The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.